I, at the risk of sounding too cosmic, I feel like I am an evolving soul right now. Fame has never been uh, the draw for me. When I told you I was homeless and I equated money and stuff to being successful and to being liked and I always liked nice stuff. So that's what I went after only to realize that that's not the real game. And the last thing I remember was somebody hit him with like a bat or a board and he went down. That was the first time that I realized it's dangerous out there. It is very, very dangerous to be a black man. Very dangerous. Because when I was 17 and a half, um, I got attacked by three grown men tried to take my life because of the color of my skin. As cliche as that sounds, I always tell people, look, you may have different color skin than me, different kind of hair than me, different color eyes. We're all the same. We're all the same. That's just like me, and, and you can do it, then I can do it. Or you're just like me, so you deserve all the respect that I would give somebody that looks like me or like myself, and that kind of thing. Get that to be the normal conversation. I've watched the, the marketplace, if you will, of people like ourselves that have information and wisdom and experience to share with other people to get inundated by a lot of people that teach theory. But the real is, I still believe to my core that I have uh, valuable, valuable information and valuable, valuable experiences and methodology to help people get where they're going. And the breakthrough was always, I thought differently, I think things differently, I perceive things differently, and then I do things differently. That's the breakthrough. Hi, Joseph McClendon III. Mike Koenigs, hello. Well, I thought we'd uh, start this out with some interest and some intrigue. So, what's the scariest thing that you're dealing with right <laughs> you now? You want to jump right in. <laughs> the scariest thing I'm doing right now? Yeah, or... I think what's the scariest thing you have going on in your life right now? That's what I wanted to begin with. You know what? Immediately what comes to mind, and as cliche as this sound, it's being a parent. Hmm. It really is. Because um, as my son, I have a 12-year-old son now, and as he gets to that age that um, he's gonna start doing things on his own and he's gonna be driving in a couple years and everything and all that's going on out there, that's the scariest thing is preparing him to do that. I feel like I've done a great job and that's the thing that kind of keeps me up at night lately. I get it. I got 17, you just saw Zach, yeah. he's at home and uh, uh, he. we let him stay at our, we have a place on the beach with mm -hmm. a bunch of his friends. I sound like a spoiled brat. Um, <laughs> last night and they were all together and you know we weren't monitoring we gave him free yeah, reign yeah. and yeah all that's going on plus driving plus 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 yeah it, there's no doubt about it um he's on snapchat a lot if he's not regulated controlled which we try to right, do our yeah, best uh -huh. and um yeah the world is a very different place than it's when just, you and i grew up yeah and it is i trust him and I've tested him on those things so I can trust him in doing things. It's just that I don't trust the world out there. And, you know, coming from a background of, of um, I've had some pretty horrible things happen to me in my life. Uh, not too much. I was not too much older than him that I can't help it. Sometimes that stuff comes back to me and I worry about him out there like that. So that's the scariest thing. Well, let's uh, let's do that one next. 12 years old. What's the scariest thing you remember uh, growing up? I saw a... Uh, you got to remember my age. 
uh, this was like, so 12, it was maybe like 1964, 65. I saw a, wow, I just got emotional about this. Wow. I saw a uh, news clip on television, and um, this was during the civil rights riots. And the news clip was of a, um, a man who had driven into uh, a part of town where they were having, um, let's just say, a white supremacist rally. And even though there were a couple guys in you know hoods and, and sheets and things like that, but they pulled the guy out of the car. They, they, they stopped him. They were having this big rally and stuff. And I didn't understand it. I'm only 12 years old. They pulled the guy out of the car and they beat him and they, you know, just they, punches were going at him and everything. And the last thing I remember was somebody hit him with like a bat or a board and he went down. And um, I remember thinking. Do you see this on TV? I saw it on television. Yeah. Because this was uh, the first time that they were covering, you know, that kind of thing uh, on television. And um, I remember thinking. Because up until that, that point, Mike, I, I didn't really experience uh, any prejudice or, you know, because my father was Air Force and I was, I was raised in uh, that mixed environment. But that was the first time that I realized it's dangerous out there. And I remember thinking, my skin is black like that, and they would do that to me as well. And um, I grew up with that. And, uh, you know, maybe for me, <clears throat> wow. Um, I've lived with something in my life that I work, it, it's been my personal development for a long time to erase from my uh, emotional state and, and memory, but um, that happened to me later on in life. Not, you know, now if I look back on it, it was only, you know, five, six years later, because when I was 17 and a half, um, I got attacked by three grown men tried to take my life because of the color of my skin. And I still now have uh, a rib out of place because you can't, you can't cast a rib. And, <clears throat> you know, I have difficulties health-wise with that because there's a point, you know, you can't see it, but there's, and my rib is still out of place. That's the way it healed. And that scarred me. And that was the genesis, by the way, of my, my journey for personal development for myself uh, was because I became homeless as a result of that because it destroyed my uh, self-esteem. It destroyed my confidence in myself. And, um, and I didn't know what to do. And, um, so that was the beginning of it. I started to change that, but I lived with that fear for a long time. And I, I gotta be honest with you. It still pops up every once in a while. Yeah, How can it not? No doubt yeah. about it. Yeah. It's just like, and it, with a resurgence in craziness right now, oh, we're yeah, living in a yeah. insanely transitional mm -hmm. moment in, uh, I think American history and mm -hmm. world history right now at the same time. I agree. Yeah. I'm the eternal optimist. And in that, I believe that in some strange way that this is necessary for us to evolve to where we're going to be, but it's just painful and a lot of people are getting hurt and going to get hurt uh, as a result. But I, I believe as a, as a species, we're going to evolve past this. I agree. I think that's one of the reasons I love you so much. And we've had a great relationship is we're both eternally optimistic <laughs> yeah. and we like, and we like to laugh. So, yeah. um. And I got to tell you, I didn't get to say this, uh, that I appreciate you more than you know. You have been my teacher, my mentor, my friend uh, through some pretty difficult times in my life, but you've also taught me a lot of life lessons. And I mean that from my heart uh, throughout time. And we just spoke about this a little while ago. You're my, uh, my technology uh, pimp, <laughs> if you will, in that I come around you and I 
you know, you, you just really have your hands into so many different things. And, and I see and I go, I got to get that. I got to get that. And I've evolved that way as well. So, yeah, no, you. yeah. I mean, you're just showing me uh, your studio, your son's in it and what he's doing. He's producing. He's great on camera. He's yeah, definitely he's, got yeah. the it factor and he sounds like you. He's got your vocal cadence and uh, also a very similar voice, which yeah, I, yeah. I hadn't. I don't remember hearing him before, to tell you the truth. Well, he like you said with your son, it's just like begrudgingly he does that stuff now. But then kind of, you know, behind the scenes, I hear him talking about, well, I did this, I did that, you know, and, and he's, he's, he's growing, he's, he's evolving. Yeah. That's something that, um, I still struggle as a parent with as well, which is, um, the resistance our kids give us. And it's like, I will show you the gateway. I will prevent you from going through the hellacious experiences mm -hmm. we have. And they still push back they and still like, push they got to figure yeah. it out mm -hmm. their own way. So it's, that's again, you, you talk about what's scary. That's scary as well, because I, do my best to go. Here's the reason why I'm doing this. And please understand this. And he'll look at me like, okay, I got it. And then you go do something else, you know, but again, they got to have their experience. And, and, you know, Mike, I look at when I looked at my son for the very first time, when he was born, I remember looking at him. I remember three things. One, I experienced unconditional love. I would give my life for him in that moment. Number two, I realized that that's his life, not mine it's not mine it's his life and number three was my job is just to love him you know and protect him and all that stuff and let him go <laughs> yeah yeah well yeah. the the fact of the matter is boys i was talking about myself mm -hmm. we're basically big dumb animals until we're about 50 <laughs> years old yeah, well, so. <laughs> sometimes even older I'm, I'm still yeah i'm still working on it all right well um here's the next question i have mm -hmm. for you Who's Joseph McClendon III? You've gone through a bunch of yeah. uh, reinventions and iterations. Mm -hmm. How do you see yourself right now? How would you describe yourself to other people? I'm going to do my own version mm -hmm. in a moment, but I'm curious what your internal story about who you are is right now. Uh, now, and you say it's ever evolving. I, at the risk of sounding too cosmic, I feel like I am an evolving soul right now. And meaning that I certainly have a lot more to learn. Um, I'm at that stage in my life where a lot of my conversation with myself is about legacy. And I am, we talked about this before, I'm looking at the finish, finish line, not in my mortality, but the finish line in uh, making a quantum leap from what I do and, and how I behave now as to what I'm going to for the rest of my life. You know, like five, six, seven years from now, I'm not going to be doing what I do now. So I look at this being a mentor, being a teacher, being a uh, coach and all those things that I do right now and speaking and all those things. I won't be doing this at the pace that I'm doing now. And what I'll leave behind, I want to make sure I, I almost have this this urgency now to, you know, I said this to you before, I'm focusing 100% of my attention now on, on giving people the tools and the strategies and the, the even the experiences and, and the results of, of hedging that bet and, and beating those ridiculous odds of not being able to succeed in your, your health, your wellness and your, and your lifestyle. And so I feel this urgency to really get that out and really do as much of that as I possibly can now. And I feel that's who I am. So I feel like I'm evolving, Mike. Um, however, I also feel like I'm working like a bastard now constantly to, to that end to make sure that I get all of that done to serve as much as I can now. Because later on, 
I'm chilling. <laughs> I'm I'm going to live uh, the life that I've always dreamt about. Right, right. Well, and that's uh, that's part of what I want to lead to is uh, getting there sooner. Um, so I'm going to frame a couple things, and and part of my goal today with you is <clears throat> for people who don't know who you are. I think the first time we met. I certainly saw I saw you uh, on stage at Life Mastery. Mm -hmm. It would have been, I think, in 1996. <laughs> yeah. All right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely been a while. Yeah. And then we got reconnected with a mutual friend. Mm -hmm. And then uh, through Pam Hendrickson, Chris Hendrickson mm -hmm. continued and we've developed our own relationship. But people who uh, have seen you over the years um, have seen you in the world of Tony Robbins, and then you've had a separate business career coaching. You speak, you do lots of corporate events, and you have private clients. But you've gone through many iterations. You've seen the industry of personal mm -hmm. development shift and change. And I'm curious, after being in the business, like how long would you 30 say? Years. Yeah. 30 years. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, with that in mind, what do you see that's changed dramatically over the over the time that you've been involved in it? What are you seeing mm -hmm. right now? Where it's what's it evolving to? Well, I'll, I'll start with what I've seen first. I've watched happen, and then where I think it's going. Um, I've watched the the marketplace, if you will, of people like ourselves that have information and wisdom and experience to share with other people. I've watched it get inundated by a lot of people. I'm not throwing shade on anybody, but I've watched it get inundated by a lot of people that teach theory. In other words, uh, they're not masters of that themselves. And what's great about that is because everybody can teach somebody something. The danger in it is, is it's kind of given the industry a little bit of a black eye in that, you know, the whole motivation and all that stuff and everything. And, uh, and um, my concern is that sometimes um, because there's so much of something, there's that saturation of things, people start to check out and people start to, you know, go somewhere else. And then also disinformation or bad information that's getting taught to people as well. So I, I've watched that happen. I've watched the field get completely saturated. And now and again, I'm not throwing shade on on people. Oh, go, now, go, 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 go through shade. Go shade, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that um, I see products, you know, recommending and suggesting to people that you don't even have to be an expert at what you do to be a coach, to be a mentor, and to run masterminds and things like that. Which the danger in that is, again, disinformation, and and um, you can cause people to. Uh, you know, go in another rec and, and that saturation again kind of makes people numb to it and, and desensitizes people to it. So. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. Um, uh, you know, we always have, uh, fake gurus, false prophets and everything. Mm -hmm. And I notice in myself, as I watch the changing of the guard, the evolution, mm -hmm. um, my aging self could get resentful yeah, or, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, frustrated because as um, you know, the way I describe it is if you look at social media, for example, mm -hmm. I call it the Kardashianization of, <laughs> uh, of, right. I yeah. Love that. yeah. But it's, it's yeah, like, it's true. The social world is just filled with fake, mm -hmm. false and 
um, insincere mm-hmm. and it's hard to differentiate. And one of the things, you know, I, I, I'm fascinated by right now is deep fakes and Voco and, yeah, and the ability is- to, to essentially trick anyone into believing anything mm-hmm. with fake characters, actors, artificial intelligence produced news. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we've already seen the damage that that does. No question. No question about it. So, um, so with that, I, one thing I, I'm curious about, and you and I have talked about this just a bit, but not really, um, you've been around one of, if not the largest personal development personalities in the world. Mm -hmm. And I've never seen you exploit that. You haven't exploited Tony's platform. Um, you've always built your own. You've been highly visible for decades. And what's it been like for you to live in in a way, I don't know, I, I, this isn't the right description, but it's the best I can do right now, sort of to a degree in the shadow of Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. You've been supportive. You've always been there. You're opening UPWs. And how many of those are there per year right now? Five to six. You know, there'll be still be five next year. I think we did, we're doing six this year. And the audiences at this point have gotten bigger and bigger, 16,000. I don't know what the largest to date has been. We what did, is it? I think the, the largest to date was 16, but we haven't done one less than I'd say 9,000 in probably two years now. Un, unfreaking believable. And so clearly the industry is hungry mm-hmm. for Tony, the message, these mega events still after mm-hmm. all this time. And but I want to get back to what's it been like emotionally for you and how have you resolved this experience in your own mind? Like, how does it, yeah, that, that's the best way to start. And I've got a couple sub questions. That I yeah. Want to ask you. Um, I, it's been by design, my involvement, and I'll be straight up honest with you. There has, you know, you use the word exploit, but I've also not taken advantage of the opportunities. So exploiting, you know, kind of take connotates that I'm, uh, taking advantage in a bad way, but I've also, there's opportunities there that I've not taken to grow myself and explode myself in ways. And being straight up with you, some of it is um, uh, the fears that I've lived with my life that we talked about before. If I get too big, if I get, then I'm a target, you know? And uh, I, I couldn't even believe that that was part of my belief system until I, I, I examined it a couple years ago. Um, but I will say this, that Mostly out of uh, <laughs> two things, mostly out of respect for Tony and for what he does. Um, I I'm, live my life with as, uh, the highest level of integrity that I possibly can. So plagiarizing and utilizing, you know, utilizing him to boost myself is just not part of who I am. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of people who come along and go, well, why don't you? And I've also... I, I've known several people who have and done quite well, by the way, as a result of that. But that's just not me. And I love the guy and I think he's, you know, one of the most brilliant guys I know. And so that's just not part of who I am. Um, but that the whole concern about um, uh, getting to a level and being a target, that's something that I didn't even realize that I had that I recognized that was there. And I've even when I got it out, because I'm a psychologist by, by profession, even when I wiped it out of my system and I don't have that fear anymore, I still recognize that, wait a minute, I'm still progressing 
at a pace that I want to be able to uh, impact as many people as I possibly can, but I don't need or, or really even want that level of stardom or, you know, all that stuff that goes along with it. I enjoy my anonymity to be able to walk through an airport sometimes. Now it's gotten, you know, a little bit different and be able to go places without having that, you know, you know, paparazzi. And I've had some of that. Um, I was a musician before, you know, and I had that level of, of uh, fame for lack of a better term, but I kind of like my life. Yeah. That makes, that makes total sense. Um, next up, I'm curious, um, what, you know, when you talk about, we were talking about this a little bit earlier about when you project into the future and think about what is most interesting and attractive to you right now, as you move forward, um, the next evolution of Joseph, I'm curious, mm. <laughs> uh, what you see and I am going to go back to this fear thing in a moment, but I, I want to okay. right. ask, uh, yeah, ask no, this question out. first. Okay. Uh, to be specific, I have had a, because I'm that way, I preach it again. I, I, I like, I, I always say I won't teach theory. I'm not going to teach something to somebody that I don't do myself. So many, many years ago, I set up my life's plan, if you will, what I'm going to do in my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and yes, hundreds. <laughs> That's where I'm going. And so I've always, 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 I'm an artist, I'm a musician, and art is extremely important to me. My son and I have an agreement. How we'll stick to that agreement, I don't know, or if we'll stick to that agreement. But our agreement is when he hits 18 years old, he can go to college. He can do something else. We're not going to live in my house. He's out. And so uh, at that stage, that is when I uh, do my, let's just we call We have the it. same agreement, by the way, my wife and, and son. And that's <laughs> like, she's like, when you leave. You don't come back. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, <laughs> you know, so that, and I tell them that every time we have that conversation about here's why I'm doing this now. And here's why I'm, you know, you can't play video games all day long. And here's why you got to do this, 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 and this is because at one point, remember our agreement, you're out and you're going to be on your own. And so when that happens, as that happens, uh, I will transition. And I believe I'm starting to do that transition already. Again, I'm, I, I don't like looking at it as the race to the end of my, my mortality, but it's the race to another transition in my life. But I'm an artist and I, I have a, a music studio in my home. I have an art studio in my home and that's what I want to do. I will never stop doing what I'm doing, uh, impacting people and teaching and mentoring and things like that, but certainly not at the pace that I'm doing right now. Fame has never been uh, the draw for me and neither has money, quite honestly. Although, you know, I, I'm a businessman and I, I like to make money. Um, the draw for me, I, I didn't say this earlier. Well, I'll come back to it because you're going to go into the fear. <laughs> oh, uh, how, how'd you know? Yeah, because I, I see that look <laughs> in your eye. Yeah. Uh, but to answer your question, that evolution to where I'm going is to live the life that I've always dreamt about and the life that I've, I've, as you see, the evolution is evolution doesn't happen overnight. I've been evolving to getting all the things in my home and, and in my life to be able to uh, have that life to where as I draw, paint, sculpt, write music, write, you know, enjoy my life and travel and do all the things that, that uh, uh, I deserve to do. Right on. Well, that, mm -hmm. that leads me to my other question, which is your coach, mm -hmm. you work with high performers and you break through their fears. And I remember when you were going through the, uh, the whole conversation of who Joseph is, it was a 
probably you about two, me three. so much with that. Right, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I, I kind of want you to set it up um, through your lens, because the question that I want to ask you is, you're in the business of breaking through. Mm -hmm. And I can't help, my coach's help, helmet goes on when, when I hear you say, well, living the life that I deserve. I'm like, Joseph McClendon III, you deserve whatever you want right now. Yeah. There's mm -hmm. absolutely no reason why you can't have it all right now, other than, you know, we were talking about this before, there's a certain number, right? Mm -hmm. We all have our number in our head as far as what's enough. It, you know, like if you never had to work another day in your life, mm -hmm. what's the number you want stashed away so you can mm -hmm. maintain a high quality life of, you know, Dan Sullivan talks about the four freedoms of time, money, relationship, and purpose. Mm -hmm. And also the fears of getting too big, mm -hmm. um, which are, you know, is that the real fear or not? And I just want to test that with you a mm -hmm. little bit. So if we were doing a uh, transparent therapy session together right now and i were coaching you yeah. and drop it on uh, me yeah, yeah. That, that's how you've helped me so much by the way is just no punches pulled and you dig deep so yeah i i like the i like the conversation and you're open to it and uh part of it is i'm just flat out interested and you know my goal in doing these conversations and even doing the capability amplifier podcast in the first place has always been to create a cartridge style matrix upgrade for the brain. So I want to transfer mm -hmm. how you think to a listener or a viewer. Mm -hmm. So I just want to test that out and ask you, is that the real fear or not? So in other words, if, if Joseph were going to have the life he really wants right now, what is it really that's preventing you from just saying, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to have it. What would prevent you from just saying, screw it. I'm just going to, uh, do art and music all the time? Well, um, I think two things, Mike, is number one, I love what I do now. Number two, and I hope this isn't my ego and you'll check me on it if it is, I have the life that I dreamt of now. I really do. I still, I, I do play music every single day. That's my passion. I have a studio in my home right next to my office. I play music every single day. Um, I will admit that I have not done the art uh, for probably four, maybe even five months now, because I've been doing other projects and traveling a lot. Um, so again, I hope that's not my ego and dancing away from your question. Um, uh, and I do feel like I have that life right now in its evolutionary stage. When I say I reached that finish line, when the kid's gone and all that stuff and everything, that's when I really drop it off. But I don't feel, and again, please call me on it if I'm, if I'm, you know, fooling myself. Um, I don't feel a lack or I don't feel, uh, I don't have any fear that I'm not going to get to that stage. If that makes sense. You know, I feel, I wake up every morning and you know, I do my, my gratefulness rituals and everything. And I always go look at my freaking life. This is amazing. And I give myself credit for it because I've, I've created it. Um, but to answer your question, is that the real fear? Um, I'm, I'm not sure that getting too big is any more a part of my um, conversation with myself. Um, but being straight up, I think that um, it's never fear of failure with me. This is, this is tough. It's never fear of failure with me because I believe that whatever I do, I'm going to be one of the best at. I put, I've instilled that in myself. Uh, 
but I've not exploded myself because here's the fear. Here it is, is that I don't want that monkey as well. I don't, I, I know what I want, which is part of what we talked about before this, this life that I love right now. And I've had employees before I've had lots of, you know, big, you know, big studios. You, I think you even, oops. I think you even came to my studio at a big 200 square, 2000 square foot studio with all this stuff and everything. And it was a boat anchor to me and freedom's huge with me. I'm an artist. And so maybe there's still some of that. Um, and yeah, I, I still, and thank you very much, Mike, <laughs> for, for bringing that back out. I, I, you know, even in this conversation, I do still realize that I, I, that when I got attacked and what went, what I went through, um, still lives in me some of it. And I still, I still work with that. Interesting. So it sounds like there's still uh, an association with the attack and, and the attention, which was negative attention, which turned into a physical. Um, so is there a connection there between the physical attack, the abuse and getting big? And is there some sort of a connection you know, there? You know I'm just, I just want to test that. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's the, here's the answer to the test. And how can I word this? And, and this is a conversation that I don't get to have. So I appreciate this, but um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the reasons why I don't get to have it, or I don't have it first. And then I'll talk about it is because I was raised, as I said to you before, in a completely racially mixed environment. I grew up, my father was stationed from the time I was six years old to the time I was 13 in uh, Hickam Air Force Base in Hawaii. There was, if anything, the minority was white people, but it was mostly uh, Hawaiians, uh, Japanese, Chinese, um, not a lot of black people, but it was the, it was the military. So there were several um, um, Spanish, everybody. And that's the way I grew up. And I grew up with a father who taught us the words of Martin Luther King. It's not the color of somebody's skin. It's the color of their character. And he drove that into us. And he taught us to speak the way that we do. You said, my son has that cadence. Well, I do my father's. And so all that stuff. But then when that interruption came that I told you about before, where I saw, and that was the very first time that I realized I was different. And, and not just different, but my difference could get me killed. Because I saw that to, to, to my 12-year-old mind, that guy got killed. And I thought they didn't know. And there's, there's an interesting story, you know, that I've had several experiences that I've danced away from because I don't, I'm not as comfortable having the racial conversation as I could, should, would be, even though my very first book was, uh, uh, was called Unlimited Power, A Black Choice. And I wrote it because I wanted to bring this information to a, a, a group of people who weren't getting it. I had an experience right around that same time as well, where, uh, actually I was a little bit younger, my Oh, it was right when we got to Hawaii. My father, my mother took my sister and I to school. We got in the school. My, uh, the, the principal took us to our classes. And when they dropped me off at my class, I remember to this day, the look on the teacher's face. I, at first I thought, you know, well, this, she's a nice teacher because she was, you know, attractive, nice lady and everything, young lady, but she was disgusted with me, disgusted. And I remember looking on that face. And I didn't understand why. And then, very long story short, Mike, she made me sing a song to the classroom within four minutes that I was in the classroom. The principal left and she said, the new boy's going to sing us a song. And she got a book, because in those days, the lift-top desks, not to date myself, um, we had, they had song books. 
and she made them turn to a page and they got to the page before I did. And they all started laughing. And the, the, uh, when I got there, she opened the book for me and she gave it to me. And there on the top of the, the page, I read the words. It was called Old Black Joe. And the, there was a caricature of an old Negro slave. And it was just horrible, just awful. And she made me sing the song. And in that moment, I realized I started to, I started to associate my own race with fear of rejection at the risk of sounding too, I'm intellectualizing it now. But all those, you know, all those incidents and, you know, attacked by the police and all those things, here's my point. Here's the fear is that as much as I don't like to talk about it, as much as I don't, and I, and I, I shouldn't say I don't like to talk about it, I don't talk about it much uh, in mixed uh, settings, is that it is very, very dangerous to be a black man. Very dangerous. Um, and when you have the type of experiences uh, that I've had, and when I got older, my father told me about his experiences, which were 10 times more because he grew up at a different time. Um, those things, <clears throat> they, uh, they stick with you. And I, I feel like, Mike, I have carved myself a niche in doing what I do and to be able to dance between those lines. And I have a fairly safe life, but it's still a reality out there. And so that, that uncomfortableness and that fear of, uh, of, uh, and fear of rejection, even this conversation right now, I feel it in myself that some people are going to view this and go, oh, gosh, I didn't know he felt that way. I didn't know he was that. Why didn't he do this? That kind of thing. All of us have that fear of rejection. Uh, but the real is I still believe to my core that I have, uh, valuable, valuable information and valuable, valuable experiences and methodology to help people get where they're going. Uh, and even in saying that, I, I realize that I'm, uh, I'm, uh, protecting myself, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you and I have gone deep on mm -hmm. a lot of these topics before. So first of all, I'll say, I love you 10 times more now I love than you. I, I love did. you. I love 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 you. That's 13. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that, that, and I can't imagine anyone else not feeling the same way. Cause it was just, um, raw joseph uh next it's it's fascinating because um i wasn't you know my my reality is just completely different than yours obviously but in all the time i've known you yes i've seen an african-american man but i've i've always just seen you mm -hmm. you're you're i just love your spirit, your charisma, your creativity and your smarts. And thank you. And, you know, it's the who that mm -hmm. I love. It's your full being. Uh, but is that, and, and I'm asking, is that unique? To, I, I want to say that's unique to the person that you are as well. I don't believe. Well, I, I, I believe that you are one of the most evolved beings that I know. And I mean that from my heart. And I mean that sincerely. Um, and not, not to think that, not to say that other people aren't evolved, but I think other people might not see that. And I think oftentimes I always say to people, cause when people say I'm colorblind, I go, okay, if there's a black man, if there's, if there's 10 people, they all have on white suits and there's a black man there and his name was George. And I say, which one is George? How are you going to say, which one is George? <laughs> You're going to say, because it's the black guy, you know? And so nobody's colorblind. We're fooling ourselves. No, no, it's total bullshit. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's total. Yeah. And uh, so I, I, that might be unique to you. I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, like um, 
so truth be told, like, you know, and you and I have gone down the path before. I like I like making fun of anyone. You know, I'm I'm like <laughs> I'm, equal I'm, opportunity. I'm equal opp- I don't give a crap what color you are. I'm gonna like I and we don't we do not live in safe times right now. Yeah. Uh the social justice warriors are gonna attack anything and misunderstand context mm-hmm. and also rapport. Mm-hmm. And earning rapport as a comedian or an entertainer these days doesn't really matter in our snowflake culture and that just as much charges the negative nationalistic uh tone that we live in today of um uh the traditional american feeling (laughs) like their rights are under attack and um and so on and so forth i mean we just live in twisted times and i think the pendulum in every way is being tested Mm -hmm. right now and i think having just having a dialogue like this on a regular basis Mm -hmm. that feels safe for anyone um is great and i I think right before uh we were sitting and talking about the two black guys who watch bill burr comedy (laughs) hilarious it's like where you're the way they frame it is where your two black friends Mm -hmm. and you can tell by the comments that it appears anyway that the majority of the viewers listeners watchers on youtube are white people yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. who feel isolated and unable to have a relationship or a connection because they're so afraid. Yeah. They're afraid of the fear. Mm-hmm. It's just like this. I like that afraid thing. of the fear. Yeah. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and that it's sad because I know growing up as a white kid in an absolutely white environment growing up, I went out and I seeked relationship with non-white people. Mm-hmm. There was like my dad employed a black barber mm-hmm. Um, and there was like, there were no other black barbers in the town I grew up in. Okay. There were 40,000 people in there. And my dad grew up in Iowa where, uh, you know, the vocabulary in his era was the N word was mm-hmm. just normal just conversation, normal. right? Dude, don't Didn't get me started anything, on it. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, and I grew up around that. It was like, I'd watch my uncles watching football and that was all you heard, right? Look at them run and all that kind of stuff. And I never felt good about it, but it was a, a form of normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my goal was like, I went out of my way. I wanted to eat non-American food even, just to eat Mexican food or Asian food. I seeked it. And I took, when I got confirmed as a Catholic boy, I took on, um, so I used to hang out in an arcade and the guy who ran it was a black man. Mm-hmm. Okay. His name was Quentin. So I took on Quentin as my uh uh, when I got my confirmation name, it was a sim- symbol to me. Oh, wow. I've never okay. told anyone no, this before, this is, right? And, and uh, yeah, I'm getting all weepy uh, <laughs> and emotional thinking about it because I wanted some connection to something that wasn't just plain old white. And well, I can felt, I, can I ask yeah, you go why? Ahead. Or are you getting to that? Uh, I think deep inside, I, do, I wanted relationship outside of my race deeply and Mm. i didn't i wanted to feel what it's like i wanted to have a conversation like we're having now Mm -hmm. i felt like it was possible and and again i grew up watching bits and pieces and seeing martin luther king and i felt like i was missing out somehow Mm. i felt like a whole part of life was completely not there and this wasn't a conversation i could have with my parents and even you know my dad having the barber um and i had contact with him he always came out and he like 
he he was this very cliched guy. He drove a red convertible Corvette and he had a very white, blonde, big boob girlfriend. I mean, it was like right out of the cliche book, mm-hmm, right? Right. And um <laughs> and and I, you know, I just didn't have a, a frame for, right. for this life other than, you know, I'd see football players, right? Mm-hmm. It was it, it. And the Vikings trained in our hometown and mm-hmm. my dad cut the hair of the coach, Bud Grant at the time and had a bunch of the players would come down. Um, so I had some, I had some exposure, but I mean, we had like one Asian girl in my class growing up and she was adopted you know, um, Vietnamese girl who mm-hmm. came over, you know, during all the boating and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So again, I just wanted a connection, a racial, racial connection. And again, I know this, this to me, I'm embarrassed to talk about this because I feel like such an isolated white boy. And who yet, are you, you're embarrassed. Yeah. Embarrassment, embarrassment means that there's somebody else that you're thinking that they would judge you. Yeah, who? it is. It's some weird judgment. It's like, um, I, you know, I could just see the, the, the shallow YouTube comments or something like that. Again, I've been in this business of yeah, yeah. looking at the, the crisscross of crap and, and yet I just feel, I feel comfortable having the conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm really, when I explore it, I'm not really, I mean, for God's sake, I'm 53 years old. What the hell am I afraid of? I'm just fine. Oh. And if someone's going <laughs> to yeah. rip me one for mm-hmm. whatever shallow bullshit, you know, they observe, whatever. Let I don't them. care. Yeah. yeah. But that's, cares? that's the evolution of the soul. Yeah. It really is to be able to feel that way. Who cares? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know where else to go from here, except I think at a minimum, you know, when you look at your life, I mean, I've always been blown away with who you are and it wasn't like, you know, my, the conversation I have about you in my head is holy crap. What an incredibly talented guy. I wish I had one tenth of his oh, skills. Um, and knowing your evolution, like I have, and, and the obstacles you've had to overcome are, are again, a testament to your character. So, well, well thank you. And first of that, I, I, again, I'm not really clear on the why, other than you said you had this yearning and this need to experience other cultures. Um, I think, Mike, and, it's, and maybe we're doing it with this right now, what's important is to help people, is to help people get normalized to the fact that we're all the same. We're all the same. As cliche as that sounds, I always tell people, look, you may have different color skin than me, different kind of hair than me, different color eyes. We all share the same type of nervous system, same type of physical body and everything. You're special just like everybody else, <laughs> right, right. you know, and it's the truth. And I think that uh, what is going to change, what, e- what eventually does change everything is when people start to recognize this is okay. You know, it's okay for me to, to uh, I'll give you an example. When I wrote my first book, I wrote the book because my black friends would come to me because I got really, let's just say successful uh, in real estate first. And all I did was I took a course and I bought a bunch of houses and my friend, and I changed and I started making money cause I was homeless. You know, when those guys beat me up, it made me go homeless. And, um, uh, but my friends would come to me, my African-American black friends would come in and go, Joseph, what are you doing? You know, teach us, what are you doing? And I go, well, I go to these seminars, I read these books and I listen to these people. And the overwhelming comment, at least back then was, we don't trust those white people. 
we can't relate to those white people. And for me, because of the way I grew up, I thought, what difference does it make? Not only what difference does it make because they're people, but information is information. Just get it and do it. And what I realized, Mike, was that hurdle, and that's why I wrote the book, but that hurdle still exists today. And it might not be um, a racial thing with people. Uh, it could be something else. But the reality is um, to, to give people, in my opinion, this is what we do, is give people the ability to recognize, well, that's just like me and, and you can do it, then I can do it. Or you're just like me, so you deserve all the respect that I would give somebody that looks like me or like myself. And that kind of thing, get that to be the normal conversation. It's interesting. So I'm going to answer the question uh, now I, as I was listening to you. I realized uh, what I was all along was racially curious. And I'll go down mm. a, another little uh, avenue here. So <clears throat> when I had my first company, the agency, I ended up befriending a couple of uh, young black men who uh, I had a studio at home. And they were talented. And we started producing a, a TV show. Mm. And we got it picked up on a local channel, did a couple pilot episodes. It didn't get picked up for real, but we did a couple episodes. And they brought some skills and a perspective that I didn't have. And I and a, my business partner at the time, Dean, uh, he and his brother had made five feature-length science, science fiction movies by the time wow. they graduated from college. And so all of us together, we collaborated into this TV show. And they did like, um, at the time, and this is like, shoot, must have been in the mid-early 90s. They did kind of like a hip-hop thing. And then... Um, our my buddy Dean and his brother did a, a up and coming rock band. Um, I got to think of the name of the band, but they had a hit song called Runaway Train. Uh, they'll, they'll, the, the guy is uh, it'll pop it up up, mm -hmm. up in my head in a moment. <clears throat> anyway, they were it was right when they were popping. So we got some attention from that. But I ended up producing some music with him mm. and did a few songs and it got played in Prince's um, uh, at the time, 7th Avenue, I think was the name of the club. And then another club that he yeah. he had in Minneapolis. And their whole goal was to get recognized and discovered by by Prince, of course. And then I also wrote code, you know, I uh, after I, I think it was right before the agency. Shoot, this is going back. Yeah, it was the early 90s. Um I befriended a janitor, black guy. And as I got to know him, he had one eye and real thin. And eventually he told me he's gay. And he used to tell me stories about growing up in the South as a gay black man. And he got the crap. That's how he yeah. lost his eyes. See, I, someone beat the crap out of him. And, uh, and we became friendly enough. I used to go to his house and he'd make me, and he found out I love soul food. Mm -hmm. He's like, you white boy, you like soul food? And I'm like, yes, I do. And, and he just like, I'm going to bring you to a restaurant. And we went to this North Minneapolis restaurant and it's a soul food restaurant. And there were no white people there. Mm -hmm. And he's like, they bring me in. And I was like the white boy and they're feeding me and I'm eating, you know, pig's feet and chitlins mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and, and collard greens. And he's my people. He couldn't believe I loved it. And then I had a, like, a, I had a Korean girlfriend. Mm -hmm. I was just really interested. And she was right from Korea mm -hmm. and she loved having a white boy for her boyfriend. It was like a big thing. And I loved eating bibimbap with her. So that was, uh, a, and I've never told anyone about this before, but it was a big, big part of, I just wanted that exposure. And I felt again, um, 
I just wanted a connection with with something outside of my well, normal I, reality. I love that racial curiousness that you said. Um, I had it, and I do believe. Again, we share that eternal optimism uh, gene, if you will. Yeah. Um, I believe that the world is changing like that. I think maybe it's not curiosity, like you know, I want to, uh, you know, I want to experience that more. But it's curiosity about because it's it's happening. It cannot. You cannot stop that train. The mm-hmm. world is becoming smaller and multi-ethnic period bottom yeah. line and um but that curiosity i love that i had that as well um mine was more <laughs> mine wasn't racial mine was lifestyle because i would you know we, i think our family we weren't poor but we weren't rich and then when i got out on my own i told you i was homeless and i equated money and stuff to being successful and to being liked, you know, getting girlfriends and, you know, stuff like that. And I always liked nice stuff. So that's what I went after only to realize that that's not the real game. Right. Right. You know, we all say that, but that I, you know, I realized that quite young. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. I, I, <clears throat> I've certainly chased it too. So, well, oh, by the way, uh, the name of the band that had Runaway Train is Soul Asylum. Oh, I know oh, yeah, Soul. You remember of them? course, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they were in her, they were yeah, in her yeah, studio, yeah. and I can wow. remember seeing them. That's and I'm way like, back, way yeah. back. Well, yeah. here's here's part of the uh, the story. There, I know we got off on a tangent, but <laughs> I got to okay. tell you this thing. I can remember walking in when I met met them, and this is right when the grunge thing was yeah, starting yeah. up. Seattle grunge, yeah. totally. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing them, and they're all just like chain smoking, and and Dave. Pernier, I think he's the lead singer or the mm-hmm. lead guitarist guy. He was like, he ended up marrying a oh, very famous actress. Uh, can't think of her name right now mm-hmm. either. She was, she's just been in Stranger Things, the TV show. Mm-hmm. Name her pop into my head. Also in Star Wars movies, big mm-hmm. actress. Anyway, uh, I can remember seeing all them together and I'm like, God, what a bunch of dirt bags. And that was my <laughs> first impression. <laughs> and then, uh, and then yeah. I see them on the yeah, Grammys yeah, and MTV yeah. Music Awards. Yeah. I'm like, oh, those guys are in my studio. Yeah. I was like, oh, you know, yeah, like, yeah. what at the time? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Judgment. Yeah. That'll, that'll get you in trouble. Comes back and bites you in the ass. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm. Oh, yeah. Okay, so um, here's where I want to I take this because I'm curious now where we live in this world of um, we'll call them Trump times. Mm-hmm. And also you look at the latest, the guy that uh, Britain is elected as their yeah. leader. I mean, that guy, the British Donald uh, Trump. Yeah. Yeah. He, he literally looks to me like he just came. I don't know what the equivalent of a uh, Londoner's tra- trailer park is, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I don't know either, but I got you. There's, there's a, uh, there's a town that, uh, they, what do they call that? They, they equate it to, you know, like a hillbilly town. Sheffield is what they call it. So he's from, maybe he's from that area. All right. All right. Well, I rest my case. So, and, and this is, I, I believe we are going through a significant shift in human consciousness, mm-hmm. evolutionary consciousness, the extinction of institutions that no longer serve, mm-hmm. whether it's government or transportation or education or medicine, and all these things are just broken. They're corpses mm-hmm. and phantasms of before. Um, but I'm curious through your lens, both having been in the personal development world as long as you have and human performance, 
and watching this evolution and seeing sort of this cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's your antidote? What's your message that you think needs to be spread that can create safe integration during these turbulent times? What's your take on things right now? Um, what pops in my mind right away is something we talked about earlier, and that is to normalize or to, to get in the, in the mainstream, normalize uh, that we're all the same. And, and I don't just mean looking at another person going, that's the same as me. I'm meaning that we're all the same as we used to be through time. The human body and mind, for the most part, has not changed for hundreds of thousands of years. You know, how long have we been on the planet? It's still the same thing. And so the industry that, that we're in is really, we're teaching the same stuff over and over again. You know, we, we may have a different take on it. There may be some, some uh, different technologies to, ex, to be able to help people do things, but to help people recognize that, wait a minute, because every time I talk to somebody that goes, I had a breakthrough, I ask, what was that breakthrough? And the breakthrough is always, I thought differently. I think things differently. I perceive things differently. And then I do things differently. That's the breakthrough. So to answer your question, what I, to, what I, I believe that my message right now is to help people recognize that you have, let me back up for a second, because what changed it for me, my big breakthrough was, and it's the reason why I do what I do right now. Three reasons. Just a moment. Was, we have to insert something dynamic here. Bum, bum, bum. Here it is. Backing all the way up oh, on my 19th birthday, I was going to take my, as a matter of fact, I tried to take my own life because I was, as I said, I was homeless. I did the worst thing in my opinion at the time that I could possibly do, which was to lie to my mother. Um, my mom, I was homeless and I, it was on my birthday, November 6th. I went home. The only thing I had was an old 1938, uh, 36 Harley Davidson that, and that's, that was my pride and joy. And, uh, and that was the same motorcycle that I got beaten up on all that stuff. But I went home to my mom's house. She lived in a place called Ridgecrest, California. I went there because, um, it was my birthday. And, uh, the reason I went there, Mike, was because I didn't have any money and I didn't have any food. And I knew my mom would give me money and food. But when I got there, she asked me, how are you doing? And by the way, I was homeless. I was living in a cardboard box. And my mom asked me, how are you doing? And I go, great. Everything's great. You know, I got a great job. And I lied to her. And she wanted me to stay the night. And I, because I felt so much shame, I said, I got to go. And I left. And on the way home, I tried to cross the double yellow line and head on somebody. And the only reason I didn't was because my mom always taught me you never hurt another person. And I, in that last second, I thought, if I head on somebody, I'll hurt them. And so I came back in my own lane and I remember feeling like such a failure because I couldn't even kill myself. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad, yeah. you're, I, I'm glad you're bad at killing yourself. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and, uh, but then shortly after that, I crashed the motorcycle. And that night, very long story short, I'm, I had a transition. Um, it was the bottom of my life and I didn't know what I was going to do. And without going into it, I said some things to myself and I now know that those words that I said and the way that I said it and the energy that I put into it is what made a person show up in my, my life the next day. And the person that showed up in my life, uh, I didn't know him. He didn't know me, but it was a kind person. And he gave me the book, Think and Grow Rich. 
I read the book and I always tell people I read the book and I did what the book said because I was desperate and that changed my life. And the reason I share that with you is because, um, long answer to your question, but when I went back to him and I asked him, how do I repay you? Because that's the way I was raised. What he said to me was, he said, how you repay me is you do the same thing that I've done for you for as many people as you possibly can. So long tail, but to answer your question, the reason I do what I do and where I see it going, um, I do it because I keep that promise to him. I do it because I love humanity and I love this world that we live in. And I do it because I want to leave a legacy for my son and for everybody else so we can make this place a better place. So what I feel the most important message is, is for people to recognize their own humanness in these three ways, their own spirit, meaning that, you know, whatever spirituality, whatever religion, whatever you have, that kind of thing, recognize that their own humanity and, and how they function. And being a psychologist, um, my methodology is, I call it further faster. You know, I can help somebody. I always say to people, you know, I had a practice in Los Angeles right before I met you uh, for many, many years. And I would tell people, you know, I, I say this, if you got a fear of dogs and you come see me, take a guess what's going to be in my office. It's going to be a dog because my methodology is, is we're going to deal with it right now. And the third thing is, Mike, is for what I believe my message is, is to help people recognize that it is each one, reach one and teach one. We're doing it now, even in this right now, in some way, you know, there's hopefully somebody out there that's going to go, that makes sense. And let me change that. So I believe that my big message is, is let, let, you know, I want you to be, like I said, healthy, wealthy, and happy. So at the very least, you're a shining example for somebody else. And so I believe that's what we're doing. I believe that my efforts in doing that and that, that race towards that finish line, I believe that's what we're doing now. Uh, and I, and I think that that, that, um, what do they call it when there's a tipping point? Uh, we're, we're headed towards it right now with all the negativity, you know, what did you call it? Um, Trump land, you know, with all the negativity that's going on, that's almost necessary. It's right, almost right. necessary for us to have this kind of breakthrough. Yeah. We're having a, uh, definitely, I, I see it as <clears throat> if you imagine there's a membrane, uh, between the low frequency world and the physical world and then on on the other side kind of like the high frequency the spiritual world and also what i've described as combination of like the quickening and even the singularity the merger <laughs> of man and machine yeah, and, and all it. this and and hopefully the positivity right um but i'm excited about it and i've i've been uh, lately i've been having conversations with people i say all of us aliens and we know who we are uh, <laughs> yeah yeah right, yeah, right? yeah yeah mm -hmm. and that that i think is is <laughs> getting back on a on a on a woo woo level what i am attracted to and i really engage with the high frequency aliens now as much as i can i go you know as well as i do who we are and what we represent and what to avoid and whom to avoid and it, it, there is an extinction upon us right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think the universe and the world as we, as we see it has any use for, for you know, what, I, it, it doesn't matter. I was going to use a symbolic term. So the metaphor is the coal mines, okay? People shouldn't be working in freaking coal mines. Hello? Right? <sighs> don't get me started, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. right. So that, that I think, again, just use it as a metaphor. There's mm -hmm. some stuff that humanity just doesn't it's need no to use engage for, in. It, it served its purpose. We are where we are right now. Let's move on. Right on.
Um, can I can I uh, comment to your low frequency people? Yeah, yeah, right on. Because that is uh, it, it's an it's another one of those things, kind of like the racial con- the racial conversation, where with the average person, it's kind of like, all right, no, no, okay, I've heard this before, or whatever. They kind of check out. But uh, again, uh, you know, my calling is to help people recognize that, no, let's have this conversation because here's what you can do with that conversation for the, at the very least to elevate yourself and humanity and as well. So when we talk about the low frequency people and everything, I actually brought, I it wasn't oh, going to yeah, use yeah. that for this. Let's but, do it. But yeah. look, okay. These are magnets and mm-hmm. where am I looking? Okay. Here, well, okay. you can look, look into the camera. That's okay. Fine. Look in the camera. These are magnets and here's what magnets always do. These are pretty strong magnets, okay? They always do that. And when you put them down next to each other, they're always going to go next. Can we see on the yeah, table there? Yeah, you can do it on okay. the table there. Okay, uh-huh. great. Okay. But here's the deal. Magnets, and, and you know, Einstein proved this. It's all over the place that ev- all, we're all made of the same stuff, yes? You know, and we are electric beings. When the electricity goes away, yeah. you take a dirt the Electrochemical. Exactly. Yeah, right on. And... This is an electric being right now. And how they make magnets is they take metal. It's a little bit of a process and they, in, they inject electricity in it. And for the rest of this magnet's life, it's always going to be a magnet. It's always going to draw stuff towards. So when people say this whole concept of attracting stuff to us, yeah. But see, a magnet, is this steel? No. A magnet will, there's no steel around here, no, my watch, nothing. Mm -hmm. A magnet will attract itself to steel and it'll go to steel. But what makes this work better is when both of these magnets are the same. So things work better. You bring things towards us. And I'm talking about people and and everything, whether it's material things, situations, circumstances, or other people. But watch this, because here's when, when people are low frequency people happen. Watch this. Yeah. And it's going to do it all day long. Can, is this right. happening you over can here? See it. Yeah. yeah, it's moving away. And it doesn't matter how much you push it together. If, if the frequencies aren't together, it's, it's always going to move away. It doesn't matter. The only time it changes is, is if one of those magnets, one of those beings, one of us beings flips. And when it does, as soon as it does, it's going to stick right. together. And the flip to me is this what I call magnetic success. The flip is it, when we shift how we think that's how our it's that breakthrough that's how our frequencies increase and we can increase our own frequencies and we can freak increase other people's frequencies you know this lastly i taught at, at ucla for several years and i got to teach to engineers and they are the i'll kindly say this the most uh anal retentive group of people i've ever been around but the, what we they could say rigid thinkers rigid thinkers thank you very much um, but what they taught me was Joseph science, everything. Cause I'd talk about this stuff and they'd go, they'd be fascinated. And then they come back the next day and they'd go, let me show you Karelian photography that shows that this is true. Let me show you this. And so I've, that's part of what I teach now is how to get people to have that psychology, that psychological, I saw it, they call it the 60, 20, 20 rule, 60% psychology, 20% um, energy and, and execution and 20% magnetism. And that's what shifts people. Yeah. That's my thing. Thank you. You're welcome. Nicely done. (laughs) Um, And I was thinking about polarity is the other uh, great word here too. Polarity is magnetism. It it, it is, you know, the, that's what happened here with my little friends here is we reverse the polarity. And when you reverse the polarity, then they move together. If Mm -hmm. you don't, then they don't. And, and the, and the reversal of polarity, it's what you do. It's what you, it's what you did with me. It's just like when we had this conversation at the top of this this filming here, 
You asked me questions that made my polarity switch and made me move into an area that was uncomfortable at first. But as we got to talking about it, now look at us. <laughs> you know? They're refreshed. Yeah. They're like brand new. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I almost I almost said something that could be racially misinterpreted. Yeah, well, be careful because there are people out there that still, you know, and that's the other thing. Don't get me started. In my life, you know, you said something earlier that I, I literally felt a ping in my heart when you were saying that the N-word was the norm for, you know, being around the people that you grew up with. One of the most hurtful things that ever happened to me in my life was I had a group of friends, white friends, because I, I always played both sides of the field, if you were actually everywhere, because I was I, I was racially curious as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but I had a group of white friends and I went over their house once. And this is when I was probably uh, maybe 18 years old. I went over their house. And this was at the, you know, when you're 18 years old, guys are starting to get their apartments and their homes by themselves and things like that. And um, I had gotten up and they, we, they were, I wasn't really a, a sports guy, but they were watching um, basketball. And I got up and I went in the kitchen and it wasn't like they were trying to disguise, I, I, they weren't trying to disguise or, or uh, keep it from me. It just slipped out. I heard the one guy say, one of the guys say, would you look at that? There's 12 niggers on that field. And I was in the kitchen and I remember that, that pain in my heart for a couple reasons. Number one, you know, just honestly, it pissed me off. Mm -hmm. uh, but the second thing was I, I was hurt in that three things in that they didn't even think that I was in the other room. They didn't even think that, um, that would hurt my feelings. And the third thing was I left, you know, it's like, I didn't even say goodbye. I went out the back door and I left and I never had that conversation with him. I never, and I never hung around with him anymore as well, but it made me realize that, you know, you said this before who to eliminate from my life. You know, I look back on it now, maybe, maybe I should have, could have, would have said something to them, but it was like, that was normal with them. They didn't, they didn't think it was normal. Part of me wanted to say, wow, you know, they're just, they're just saying that. Lastly, I'll say this. <laughs> when you grew up, how did you, and you don't have to say it, how did you, what were the words to this, the rest of the words to this poem? Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, right on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now it's catch a tiger by the toe. In case those of you that don't know, it was eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a inward by the toe. And that was normal. And I would hear it all the time, all the time. And I remember, you know, my dad taught us, you know, walk away. You know, it's not, it's, you know, you, you can get in the fight, you know, you can do that. But I remember walking away, but hearing that all the time and knowing that that's just how they think. That's just how they were. I, tr I didn't take it personal. I tried not to take it personal, but it was just there. And uh, nowadays that has changed. Nowadays, um, uh, I, again, being the eternal optimist, Mike, I see how there's more racial harmony than there is disharmony. If you just watch the news and the media, you're going to see the disharmony, but I see there's more harmony than there isn't. Yeah, I think in the grand scheme of things, I don't remember the name of the book, but someone wrote it. Yeah, um, and it's the scientific proof that the earth is a safer, better place yeah, across yeah, the board. No doubt. Um, despite all the media and the hype and uh, inflammatory hoo-ha mm -hmm. that goes on. 
And I believe that to be true. And I also think that in the grand scheme of things, we can solve the world's biggest challenges with technology yeah. and, and working together. And, you know, I'm excited about the future. I truly am. I am too. Yeah. I'm and, excited about the future we get to leave for our kids as well. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I'm, I'm also, um, you know, seeing my son and his kids or his friends, I have a lot of hope. Mm -hmm. There's uh, a lot of potential, despite the fact that we have uh, uh, an immense amount of, um, I call it, so this is not going to be politically correct, massive phone tardation. <laughs> Wait a minute. I am offended. I am hurt. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yes. Yes. Phone tardation. Yeah. 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 There's, a, there's a song I bumped into the other day, and it's it's about... <clears throat> phone tards walking around and um <laughs> what they do and it's it's it has almost no views but i looked it up i thought that's pretty descriptive that's a high quality word and uh, although you can't say it yeah, i think yeah, with the yeah. proper framing mm -hmm. and rapport building mm -hmm. and if i were dave Chappelle, oh yeah i yeah, could pull course. that off uh -huh. so yeah. um but uh now that i'm not uh well, it's safe here though it is it's safe with this yeah that's good it's but good i mean it's a good word and that is and i love that that's the truth it's like i have to fight it with my son i gotta you know i see real quick i went to it was the first day of spring this year i was working at home and i thought i'm gonna go get something to eat I was by myself i went to a restaurant really popular japanese restaurant it's so popular that it's a small restaurant that you have to take a number and wait outside it's a gorgeous day and everybody was on their phone. Nobody was looking up, looking around, not enjoying it. And then the worst part of it was when I finally got called, I went in, everybody in the restaurant, except for the wait staff, was on their phone. It was a table with, with a mother, father, like a four-year-old uh, child and a six-year-old child. And even the kids were on the phone. Yeah. Tarted. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, uh, so... Let's uh let's leave this on a on a high point. One <laughs> of the things that I <laughs> wanted to do is <laughs> take you up out of this. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, I'd like to ask you, um, first of all, you brought your book also. Yeah, yeah. Awesome sauce. Show show that. <laughs> what is that book? Well, awesome sauce is the name given to the uh, chemicals, solutions, and, and compounds that our bodies release when we're in the zone, when we're operating at our optimum. You know, you, I have the privilege of working with high-end sports, you know, just high-end people, in, if you will. And the point is, is that when they're in that zone, we're all in the zone more often than we're not. Uh, then our, our, the blood in us is, is different than it is when we're not in the zone. And so the book is about how to produce your own awesome sauce at will, but most importantly, how to make it happen automatically so you don't have to make it happen. Got it. Well, and and I can't help but just um, I want to test things a little bit, please. So we you can don't scare say, me. all right, all right. Um, well, what I want to do is so we can say awesome sauce, mm -hmm. but if we say it with a lisp, then we're pushing we're <laughs> yeah, pushing yeah. things. Is that correct? Yes, yes. So I can't say awesome sauce. <laughs> you can't. No, okay. I'm sorry. You can't say awesome sauce. <laughs> awesome sauce or awesome sauce. So. Awesome sauce mm -hmm. isn't okay. Yeah, no, no. Okay, all right. Yeah. If you say it, so it's, if it's slippery, it's not okay. But. <laughs> okay, now you do scare me. All right. All right. Well, we just had to, go, I had to go down that path. I can't help myself. Sorry about that, Joseph. But uh, where can someone learn more about you and your awesome stuff you're doing? Yeah, uh, you go to my website. 
And I have it up here. Yes. Joseph McClendon.com. Also uh, makeyourfate.com. Does it, yeah. does it redirect to the same, it does. same it does. location? Yeah, yeah we're actually eliminating make your fate uh, uh, and moving it all into it, They'll all go to the same site. Uh, all right. Make your fate in. Yeah. And I'll make sure that that's in the, uh, in the show notes, but we talked about a lot of stuff today. Yes. Thank I you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I don't know if we uh, resolved anything. Uh, I think we changed the okay. world. Yeah, we probably yeah, did. We did. It shifted on its axis. Good. But what, um, if you had an ask, what would it be? Of you or? No, just to our, our audience. So we've got amazing people who listen to this mm-hmm. show. Uh, they're business owners. They're definitely high frequency um, successful business owners who want, who are really intrigued by the, the kinds of things we're talking about, you know, expanding their minds, um, really focused on leaving a legacy, having a high quality life, freedom, financial freedom, but also increasing their charisma, their capabilities mm-hmm. and skills. So it's just an open-ended question. Yeah. You have an ask. What right. might it be? Um, I have a couple of them. The first would be to, as uh, unicorns and rainbows and crystals, as this may sign, it may sound, please, please, please be kinder to more people. Um, that's just, that's where I would start. That'd be my ask of people. Secondly, I would be, um, is to participate in your own rescue first and then help as many people as you possibly can along these lines. You know, we're in the, we're in the field of personal development and helping people. Um, whether it's me, whether it's you, whether it's Tony Robbins or whatever, continue to put yourself in those environments and, and feed your brain, get away from the phone, you know, and, unless you're, you know, feeding your brain. And that, that way you change yourself and to recognize that as you change yourself, the third ask is to kind of like the first one, as I said before, my mom used to always say, each one, reach one and teach one, take what you've learned, take, you know, we all like to say all of us that, that have reached a level of success, like to say to everybody else that hasn't, it's not about the money. Don't go after the money. But we did. I know I did at that time mm-hmm. and everything. So I'm not saying that I want you to be as wealthy as you need to be, but I also need you to be as healthy as you need to be and live that lifestyle so that you can be the example for somebody else. So uh, don't teach theory. I ask you humbly, um, everybody to, you know, whether it's me, whether it's you or whatever, seek those things out. Uh, it reminds me of the old, the, the, uh, line from the Prince song, Purple Rain. You say you want a leader, but you can't seem to make up your mind. You better come on in and let me guide you <laughs> to the Purple Rain. You know, <laughs> what an amazing song that was. It was, um, yeah. And also, I would add that you're available as a coach and an advisor, as a keynote speaker, mm-hmm. and you are freaking amazing Thank on you. stage so people can learn about you by visiting Joseph McClendon. Yes, please. I have, I have a... Uh, like I said, I'm focusing all of my attention on helping people, giving them the skills, the tools, and even the experiences. And that's the way I roll, by the way. It's like, I'm not going to just teach you stuff. You're going to do something. You're going to get a result. Um, I have a, a couple programs. One is called uh, Magnetic Success, where I show people that 60-20-20 rule. You're going to get the experience. You're going to have uh, the uh, results right then and there. You're going to change how you think. Well, lastly, can I say this? When I said that earlier, no, I think uh, you said enough. No more. Okay, no, no. please, please. Just one more thing um, ab- about the 60-20-20 rule and all those things and everything and changing that ratio um, of the, the 
scales that are they're tipped against most people not being successful in those areas, your health, your wealth, and your happiness. I'll say this. Um, I've enjoyed a, a level of uh, success in my life that most people haven't, but it's not because I'm so special. It's because somebody taught me. And not to put too fine a point on, I'll give you an example. In uh, my early 20s, as I said to you before, I took a course to buy real estate for no money down. You know the guy, Robert Allen, okay, oh, yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Uh, he taught us how to do that. And I bought 26 houses in less than a year and a half's time. But here's the deal. And the reason I share that with you is that there were 500 other people in that same class. And I was the only one that did it. I've had five, five basically careers, but the other was music. The odds of, of being successful in music, you know, I don't even have to tell you, but I got a recording contract and made albums and records and things like that. Um, the other was network marketing. And, and, and then the other was, is what I do right now. And, and, and I'm saying that because it's not because I'm so special. It's because I think differently because somebody taught me to think differently. And so that's what, that's my legacy. That's what I want to do now. And so all my programs that I do, whether it's teaching people to speak from stage or teaching magnetic success or anything that I do is all designed around that. So we can have that shift. So my ask is of you, you don't have to come to me, come to this guy, come to somebody else, go get that information and then practice it and make it happen. Rock and roll, baby. You're a good man. You know that. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. This is um, another awesome episode, Capability Amplifier. So here's what my ask is pretty simple. Mm -hmm. If you like this episode, friends at home, um, and I'll talk to you, which is head on over to iTunes, rate this, review it. Tell me yes. what you think. Check out the show notes and uh, visit Joseph's websites. And of course, uh, you can leave a direct voice message for myself and Dan Sullivan by just visiting capabilityamplifier.com. And we'll also be turning this into an article that will be on entrepreneur.com. I didn't well. know that. What do you think wow. of them apples, huh? Again, every time I come around you. This is, the, this is the way we roll. This is the way we roll. So Joseph McLennan, I love you, my brother. You it's too, nice my to have you here. Thank you. All right. Well, let's say goodbye to our friends. See ya. All right. All right.